We're going to uh, start off, we're going to jump around a lot, but uh, we're going to start off by heading over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, as we dive in to parents and children, the relationship between parents and children. And we just want to take a look at some things. Many of these things you sort of know, but, oh, and before we get going, uh, a couple years ago we had a parenting workshop. I didn't bring one of them up here, but there's about six of the parenting workshop folders back there. They're only a hundred bucks a piece. No, I'm kidding. They're free and they're back there. And if you want a parenting workshop uh, folder, you're welcome to have that. Uh, anyway, so we're going to jump around, but we're going to start in Ephesians, in Ephesians, and uh, we'll be in many places. Now, in many ways, this is one of the most important subjects we'll ever encounter. Of course, the most important is salvation. Are you in the family of God? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and you're in, you have eternal life? Obviously, that's the most important issue. But what's really fascinating about the Bible, to me at least, and I say it all the time, you're probably sick of hearing it, is I can't believe that the authors or the author of the Bible, God, through the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, wrote the Bible in some sort of way that's not systematic, like not bullet points. Like, okay, first chapter, let's deal with creation. That sort of happened. But, you know, second chapter, let's deal with, uh, you know, sin. Third chapter, and, and, and just bullet points. The Lord actually writes the stories of all of his redemptive history and his redemptive plans through families. Can you hardly believe it? Uh, because as I'm sitting here, this has to be one of the hardest talks I give. You know why? One of the hardest teachings I give. You know why? Because my family's here. So they know who I really am. And I suspect that each one of us would have a glimpse of that or a, a feeling of that if you were sitting or standing back here also. It's because we're not perfect and we need the Lord. And yet God gives us amazing principles in his word and it's scattered throughout. And I think we've lost some of this. We've lost our way even in the church. People nowadays think about getting married. Here's how they think about it a lot. Well, she looks good. He looks good. He has a bright future. I think he's going to have a good job. He's going to care for me, and I'm going to have a great 401K. And when we get older, then we'll move to, you know, North Carolina or South Carolina or wherever we love, and we'll play golf, and everything will be great. Even Christians think that way sometimes. And yet, God's called us something to something deeper and higher than that, of course. And one of the things that I would ask you to think about is what is the goal of marriage? Why does God have people get married? That's the first thing I think about when I think about the relationship between children and parents. And one of the big reasons, right, is that, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is Paul tells us that the picture or the relationship between the husband and the wife is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his people, his bride. And he calls it the great mystery. I mean, it's a great mystery because in the Greek, it's like the greatest of all mysteries. It's the great mysterion. But I would suggest to you, and I'm going to have him put it up, the Malachi scripture. There's another reason among lots of reasons. Malachi is talking to the priests in this chapter and one of the reasons that the holy people of God got turned sideways is because of this. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you've dealt treacherously. You believe this? The priests of Israel. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? You ever thought about this? One of the things of marriage, not everybody has kids that are married, but one of the things that are included in marriage in the way that God chose to bring about offspring. 
was through marriage, but it doesn't say offspring. It says godly offspring. So the first thing we th- I think we have to think about after we get married. Now, remember, the Bible says that you're to marry somebody who you're equally yoked to. I believe in your premarital counseling and all those sorts of things. You ought to talk about things like discipline and encouragement and how you're going to raise the kids and who's going to cover that and who's going to do this. And, and, and you're going to talk about those things because you're going to be equally yoked. But if you found yourself in a marriage and you're unequally yoked and you're both Christians, okay, let's do this. Let's level it up. And here, we can do it here. The Lord can do it. Not we, but the Lord can do it. If we start to understand what it is that's happening in a family between parents and children. Well, one of the things is God gives marriage so that we would be fruitful and multiply and that we would produce godly children, not just children. Now, we got to do a lot of soul search in there, parents and kids. Write this down. You're not there to produce a mini-me. Well, I love sports, and they're going to love sports, and that's what I want them to be, and I wasn't that good, so I'm going to see, I'm just going to pour everything into them so that they could be the greatest. We're going to go on Sundays. We're going to go on Mondays. We're going to go on Tuesdays. You've got your goal mixed up. If you're a Christian now and you have to be honest, you have to do some soul searching. You have your kids for 18 years, children, your children for 18 years. And children are to be in a family seminary for 18 years. And then you release them, right? To go out into the world and do as unto the world. So what's one of the goals? It's to have godly children. Now, children, kids, let's think about that. The parents are rowing and striving and doing good stuff and helping and serving and loving so that you'll grow up and be godly. Well, you got to grow up and be godly. (laughs) And we're going to see how it happens here. And the first thing I would say is, as we turn to Ephesians, go there, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to put up two verses if we can. We're going to put up Ephesians, excuse me, Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 first, and then we'll put up the Ephesians 6 one. Sorry about that. Ephesians chapter 5, and I want you to see something that I think applies. When you get to the Ephesians chapter 5 verses, Paul, like he always does, has given all the theology up front, and it's beautiful. You want to bless yourself. You feeling bad, low, down in the dust. Go read the first couple verse chapters of Ephesians, thinking of how that applies to you by the blood of Christ. It'll take your heart from down in the dust to soaring like that. So do that. But what's cool about this then is then he talks now. Well, since all these things are true, we're going to be imitators of God, verse 1. And dear children, and we're going to walk in love as Christ has also loved us. And eventually, we're going to get to the part where he talks about the home, home life. Who here wants a terrible home life? Raise your hand. Oh, nobody. Hmm, that's interesting. Nobody wants a terrible home life, right? Well, if you don't want a terrible home life, read this. The first thing that I would point your uh, uh, eyes to is verse 21. That if you're a Christian... Think about it now. Put it in your mind. Are you a Christian? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you adopted by the King? Are you a son and daughter of the King? If you are, you are to submit to one another in the fear of God. That applies to all Christians. So if you're a Christian kid, young person in a family, you're to submit to your family, your mom and dad. But hey, mom and dad, This is sort of interesting. You're to submit to them. In what way? It looks different, of course. It looks different because there's different roles. But we're to give up things. We're to submit. We're to subordinate for the kids. And the kids 
or to subordinate for the mom and dad. And what's interesting, you ever said in the scales of justice, scales of justice shouldn't look like this. I mean, it's cool. It balances out. But your roles are way different. And we see it because look here, it keeps going and it talks about marriage. Now we already did marriage. But children and moms and dads, I want you to get this. Please get this. I, I honestly want you to honestly take a look at your heart and your life and say if this is true. That your marriage, if you're married, is the number one, after God, of course, is the number one relationship in your life. It takes priority. You're loving each other. It's taking priority. It's not that you're doing it at the exclusion of the kids, no. But your first priority, your first ministry is your marriage. Everybody with me? All you have to do is follow along here. Paul's no dummy. He spells it right out for you. you the reason I'm harping on this, go to some football game, extracurricular activity. You Inevitably, you'll hear a mom or a dad say this, oh, I'd do anything for my kids. My kids are more important than my husband or my wife. You hear this, people say it constantly, and you're like, I mean, if I hear it, I always say, really, do you go to church? Because that's not what the Bible says. So you gotta take care of your marriage first. If you wanna be a great mom or a great dad, love your spouse. That's first. And he says it right here. He talks about marriage. But then he comes down and he gets done with marriage and he says it's a great mystery. And he moves on into chapter 6, another relationship. There's another relationship in the home. There's another relationship in the home, and that's this. It's the parent-child relationship, and now he's going to talk about it. He's going to talk about it. What's funny now is we've talked about the first relationship, and you know you're the bride of Christ. So there's a relationship on earth. Listen, it's husband and wife. But there's something bigger going on. Man, it's a picture of what's happening. The Lord and his people, you, that's how he cares. And so... Wow, your relationship as husband and wife is to be like that. Okay, now let's look at the parents and the children. And that is in verse or chapter 6, verse 1. And I'm actually going to have them put up two verses. The other verse is in Colossians 3, verse 20. Okay? Because it's just a little different. Same writer writing to two different churches. Now, let me read it with you. Therefore, obey your parents in the Lord. Therefore, what? Oh, since marriage is this amazing first and primary relationship in the home, therefore, obey your parents, period. No, it doesn't say that. It says, obey your parents in the Lord. That's very, very important, young people. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In other words, the Lord is telling you right off the bat, through Paul, that this is an issue of righteousness. I mean, I'm not real smart. All I do is just read. So we're to obey our parents in the Lord. You see, you're to be walking in the Lord, children, child, and you're to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Or if you go down to Colossians 6.20, children, obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Kids, young people, when we obey our parents, it's a growing, maturing thing that shows how we obey our Father through Christ. You get it? There's something bigger at stake than just when dad says, can, can you put the trash out on the curb? And you say, eh, I'm playing Mario Kart. You do it. There's something different at stake here. Now, dads, sometimes if they're playing Mario Kart, 
you can let them get to the end of the finish line there before you're, but you see what I'm saying, or Paul's saying, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And that's a tag on you're actually serving the Lord when you're serving your parents. You ever thought about that young people? Raise your hand if you've ever thought about that. Wow. That's incredible. You say, wow, the onus is all on me here, huh? Onus is all on me. No, we'll get to that. We'll get to the parents. But it then says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Do you know honor your father and mother is actually the fifth commandment? But there's only one that has a promise. In Exodus 20, it says, if you obey your mom and dad, you'll have a long life, a full life. There's a promise attached to it. That's why it says it that way. But here it says the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you live a long life on earth. There you go. So children, obey your parents in all things, for this is right. It's an issue of righteousness. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're to be walking in righteousness. So there's this thing, there's this obedience that you're to do, and there's this honor that you're to do. Now, when you move out of the house, it tends to be more honor. I mean, because you're doing your thing. Maybe you're in, you know, if mom calls and you live in Big Sur, California, and mom's in Pennsylvania and says, can you put out the trash tonight? Oh, sorry, mom, I, I'm, I live, you know, 3,000 miles away, but... I could call somebody and see if somebody could help you. You honor her, you love her, you're polite to her, but it's going to be a little tougher to be obedient in that way, right? So if you're out of the house, but if you're in the house, obey and honor. Now, remember, it's a scale. Because if you're sitting here, you're like, wait a minute, I'm the kid. Why, why am I, I getting all the shots so far? But really, it's not a shot because you're obeying the Lord as you obey your mom and dad. You're doing what the Lord wants you to do. Watch this, though. And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, this is really interesting. By the way, down here, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged, not encouraged. It's interesting because both mom and dad are charged with teaching and training the kids. Do me a favor and turn over to the Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 22, and we'll come back to this. Go over to Proverbs, or excuse me, go, sorry. Well, we'll do it. Proverbs 22, okay, go there. And look in verse 6. Everybody knows this verse. What are parents to do? How are they to do it? They're to train up a child in the way he should go. By the way, it applies to ladies too, or young ladies too, in the way she should go. And when he or she is old, he will not depart from it. We're to train up a child in the way that they should go. Do you see that? We're to train them up. We're to train them up in the way that it should go. So who is to train them? Because look, look, up here it says fathers. Don't discourage your kids. So is it totally the father who's to train them? Well, the answer is no. And I think this is where the Bible's sort of funny, or maybe it's not so funny. Look in Proverbs chapter one, and I'll explain what I mean. <laughs> look in Proverbs chapter one. Uh, look in verse eight. My son, is a son or male or a female? <laughs> male. Hear the instruction of your father, male or female? Male. Hear the instruction of your father. Don't forsake the law of your mother, male or female? Female. Everybody's responsible for training. By the way, it could be a daughter there, girl. My daughter. You're to do it too. But listen, who's involved in the instruction and training of the kids? Both parents, if possible. Both parents, if possible, are involved in the instruction and training of the Lord. Why do you think in here it says fathers? I think two reasons. 
One, because the father is supposed to be the leader in this area. The leader. Don't leave it up to mom to do family devotions. You do family devotions. And you don't have to make it so formal and boring. Hey, you know what we're going to do during dinner tonight? We're going to bring our Bibles. We're going to look through Psalm 1. And dad, you're going, but I don't really know much about the Bible. Well, two things. Let the Bible speak for itself. It'll do its job. But also come here and learn or go to your church where you go and get learned up, educated in the Word so that you can teach your own family. Got it? But there's another reason I think it says fathers and not mothers here, even though moms and dads are responsible for training. Because dads, not totally, dads are the ones that can do it where you can make your kids bitter and wrathful and rebel against the Lord by the way you put your thumb over them and are too strict or too rigid or too whatever. There's no grace. There's no love. Is there? And so he gives us a warning. Don't provoke your children to wrath. What are we supposed to do? We're to be training them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, reverence and respect and loving the Lord. We're not to be exasperating them and taking the courage out of them. Look, what are we to be doing, dads? Pouring the courage into them. That's what we're to be doing. And we're to be leading in that. Listen, moms have an unbelievable role here. We saw it in Proverbs 1, but... You also, you, you know what? When you hear the word training in your biblical world, think of one chapter. Well, there's a lot, but there's one major one. Just think of it. Titus 2. Titus 2 talks about the training, transforming work of God's grace. So when we go to Titus 2, go there. It's in the New Testament. When we go to Titus and we go to chapter 2, the training, transforming work of God. In the first half of the chapter, it talks about mom or ladies' roles in the church. And one of the roles that the ladies in the church, listen, you want to do it right? One of the roles of the ladies in the church, especially if you're older. Raise your hand if you're older. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> old lady, not old. Okay. Anyway, one of the roles of the older ladies in the church, he spells it out. Watch this. You're to admonish, verse 4, the young women, listen to this, to love their husbands and to love their children, which is implying, look, that they know how to do it. Which means within their family, one of the things that their ladies are so good at, and they are so good at this, is they teach and they show and they bring to light, listen, unconditional love of our Savior. Why? How? Well, they just do, but think about all the things that a mom does for the baby. Now, if you choose to breastfeed, just think about it. You're giving the baby life. You're putting down all your, <laughs> you know, you want to watch TV or listen to the radio or whatever. You're feeding. Even if you don't breastfeed, I mean, you're fixing the bottles. You're getting things ready. Now, the men can help in that regard, but generally the moms do it and help. Not that I'm telling you what you have to do there, but you, you understand what I'm saying. And the moms get everybody ready and get things going and take care of the home and do great things. And it's such a self-sacrificial thing. They're, they're um, living it out. They're taking up their cross, that they're denying themselves, and they're laying down their lives for others. And they're doing it in the boring times, in the hard times, in the nerve-wracking times. You know when the kid's on the last nerve? Your dad's out playing golf 
and you're, you know what I'm talking about? And these sorts of things. And the mom's doing it. The mom is an expert in love, unconditional love and nurturing. And that's what she's doing in the home. What is she teaching to the kids? She's teaching love. She's being an example of love. She's nurturing the kids. You know, the dads are more like, let's go, you know, although we need to work on that. But that's what they're to do, right? So moms have this unbelievable role to teach the very heart of God, which is what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice and love. That's what moms are expert in. Could, isn't it, is there anything greater than that? Man, the power of a great mom. Janet Erskine Stewart said this. This is a mom's job. Ready for this? To give a saint to God. Ooh. The, the job of the mom, Janet Erskine Stewart, is to give a saint to God. Elizabeth, El, Elizabeth Elliot, you know her, said this, the process of shaping the child shapes also the mother herself. Um, reserved for her sacred Burden calls her to all that is pure and good, that she may teach by primarily her own humble daily example. She teaches by her own daily humble example. And what are the kids to do? The kids are to look at mom in gratitude and appreciation and see what it is to live a life devoted to others, what Christ calls us to. Amazing. 18 years of seeing how wise mom is day after day after day. No one hearing, no one knowing, no fame, no fortune, just there with the dirty diapers and the things and the food and the help and the cleaning up and the fixing the wounds and all that thing and nurturing the kid. It's beautiful. Mom's job is to give a saint to God. Interesting. Well, when you turn back, and hopefully it's still up there, fathers, though, are to be the spiritual leaders. And uh, so what are you and mom as a father and as a wife teaching to, because remember in Proverbs 1, it said that it was about instruction, raising godly children, what and how do we teach? What and how do we teach as parents for 18 years to our kids? Well, the first thing you got to know is, is that Deuteronomy tells us that we're going to teach our kids to love the word. Whatever happens, it says in Deuteronomy chapter six, hey, parents, whatever you do, wherever you go, when the kids lay down, talk to them about the Lord. When the kids rise up, talk to them about the Lord. When the kids are, and you are walking down the street or taking a walk or doing some activity all the time, just keep pouring the word of God into them and don't be overbearing. But one of the things that we're doing is teaching God's word. Now I want to just sort of go back a little bit and talk about this provocation or exasperation that can happen. I want to talk just a little bit about this provocation or exasperation. What, what in the world does all of that mean? What are we doing Well, here's what we don't want to do. When it says, fathers, do not provoke your children, I suggest to you that can happen in several ways, but one way that you can provoke your children is you can be way too harsh. That's one way. You could be way too harsh. And that would hurt, and you wouldn't be able to speak love into the kid. In fact, one of my favorite authors... His name is um, um, 
<laughs> I almost said, uh, or Josh McDowell. I almost said another name. That's funny. Josh McDowell, one of my favorite authors, says this. If you're a parent, if you're a dad, I want you to write this down. But if you're a parent, I want you to write this down. Ready? I'll even send it to you if you want me to. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Truth without relationship leads to rejection. And discipline without relationship leads to bitterness. You catching that? Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Truth without relationship leads to rejection. And discipline without relationship leads to bitterness. So we can be really, really harsh and have no relationship with our kids. That's one side of the aisle. But I suggest something else. You can exasperate and provoke your child by being too overindulgent. You want to know what overindulgent means? It means spoiling the kid. Do you know what the Bible says earlier in Colossians? I seriously think, I seriously think this is the number one thing people ought to learn about family. Is that the Bible says that we were made for God. You're like, huh? Hmm. What does that mean? Well, in most families I see, or at least in most families, even in the Christian life, Here's how it goes. The center of the universe is the kid. They run the house. I don't mean in some, you know, ogre sort of way, but they, everything they want, they get. Everything they want to do, we do. And we sort of are out here on the periphery. Maybe God's in there somewhere, but we're out here on the periphery and we're trying just to survive. But the Bible says that we were made for God. So one of the things that we're teaching the kids without exasperating them is that God is at the center of our universe, listen, and that we revolve around God. He doesn't revolve around us. I think it's one of the most important things in this society that we all need to learn. We respond to the goodness and grace and beauty and glory of God, who's the center of it all. I'm not the center of it all, and neither are any of my kids. We revolve around him. He doesn't revolve around us. I can't say it enough. You're looking at me blank. But I think that might be the most important thing we need to know as family parents and as family children. And so we're talking here about how could we could exasper exasperate our kids or provoke them or bring them to wrath to make them go away from the Lord. One way is we could be way too harsh with no relationship and it lead to all these things, bitterness, anger. But the other way we can exasperate them is we can be overindulgent. Kid does what we say, we do what the kid says. And come on, let's be honest, folks. You've been out in the culture. Maybe there are even some in here are struggling with it. Let's be honest about it. That's rampant. That is rampant. The kids run the household in our culture. Well, so what are we teaching and how are we teaching it? Let, let's talk about this for a second. If it's true that rules without relationship lead to rebellion and truth without relationship leads to rejection and discipline without relation leads to bitterness, how in the world could I have a great relationship with my child? Well, here's the first thing. I think what you do is you, if you're married, if you're not married, that's okay. The Lord's doing it. If you're married, though, you love your spouse. You love your spouse. And the kids see it. And they know it. And they understand that that bond's unbreakable. And they're safe and secure in that. That's first. I think that's first. Now, beyond that, what can I do as a dad? What can I do as a mom? Well, again, I love listening and thinking about some of the things that Josh McDowell, in his book, Father Connection, 
talks about. And that's these sorts of things. He uses A's. Acceptance and appreciation. Now, you can go overboard with that. Oh, honey, everything you everything you say is just perfect. And you could do no wrong. And you could make the young lady a princess, again, who we're all revolving around. But in this fast-paced culture, especially us dads, acceptance of who they are and value them as people, make them feel worthwhile and appreciated for the good things they're doing, don't always just talk about the bad things they're doing. Now, I come from a coaching background. And I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. And my tendency is to point out all the stuff you did wrong. That's my tendency. And one of the things you got to do when you're a parent is you got to know, I think, the differences in your kids. Some kids you can treat like that. I was just watching, anybody like sports? I was just watching a special about Bill Parcells, the old coach of the New York Giants. And I'm like, hmm, that's how I am. And Bill Parcells would point out a lot of times all the things that you were doing wrong. And some of my kids, no problem. You could do that. But not many of them. Other ones would get their feelings hurt and get down. So you got to know how to talk to them. And how do I make them feel accepted and loved even while I'm, listen, listen, I'm charged and so's the wife with correcting them. You have to correct your kids and make consequences for them. That's all part of love. And you say, well, now you're starting sounding mean. Not if you read the New Testament or anything. You know what Jesus does for his kids, you? He chastens, corrects, disciplines those he loves, including consequences. Are you still an accepted and loved person in Christ? Yes, but you're chastened by the Lord. It says it in Hebrews. comes from the Proverbs. So we have to do this thing where we make them feel accepted and loved and yet still correct them. Still be training and correcting them. Do you understand? And so those are some things we do. But another thing that we have to do, I once heard this on Focus on the Family, and I thought it was so great. Uh, you know, dads always use this, this lame excuse. Lame. My kids need quality time, not quantity time. You know what Dr. Dobson said one time? You can't have quality time unless you have quantity time. And the reason that is, is because you can't just get together for five minutes and say, hey, kid, we're going to have quality time now. It just happens in the quantity. In fact, Josh McDowell says this, how, do you, how does a kid spell love? T-I-M-E. Time. You must be available to your kids in order to speak into their life, in order to help train them and the way to go, you must show them affection, dad and mom. Mom's good at it. Dad, not always so good at it. You must show them affection, love, words, hug, touch. You must approach them. Now, this is hard. I think this is one of the greatest ways you can develop a relationship with your children. Ready? You approach them in their world. See, I'm always asking my kids to do stuff I like. What about taking interest in the things my kids like? Like for instance, you might not like video games. I don't like video games. I don't even know what a video game is. They likes them some, not a lot, but some. But how about this, how about this one? Movies. You know what I don't like? Movies. You know why I don't like movies? Because it's not even some scriptural thing. It's not even some pious thing. I don't like movies because I'm wasting time, I feel. My family loves movies. They like it when I sit down there. Maybe they don't, but they like it when, they probably like, no, don't sit down there because you're looking at your watch and da 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 da. But I think us as parents need to approach our kids in their world to see and find out 
and love and show them that we care. I really do. I'm always asking my kids to do my stuff. How about sometimes I do their stuff? But also we need to hold them accountable, provide reasonable rules and boundaries and hold kids accountable for them in context of a loving relationship. You know what a lot of kids say when you get right down to it? Sometimes they gripe and complain about some of the boundaries you set, but you know what they really say inside? Thanks, mom and dad, because I want to be led. It makes me feel cared for and loved. Not just, I don't care what time you come in. You care for me. You say, I got to come in at 1030. You love me in that way. Kids want to be led, and I think we need to do that. Well, there's a lot of other things that we could say on that. But in order to train our kids and in order to uh, bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, how can we do it unless we don't have a, unless we have a relationship with them? We must have a relationship with our kids. But what about this? What do we train them in? What is it that we're training them in? Well, here are some of the things. You know, J.C. Ryle wrote a classic work on the duties of parents. You can get it on the Internet. It's a PDF. J.C. Ryle is a pastor of a while ago, kind of a classic author and pastor. And here's some of the things that he said that we ought to be training our kids in. So I wonder... Have you, if you're a child, don't raise your hand here, but think about it. Are mom and dad training you in these things? If you're a mom and dad, are you training your children in these things? Ready? Here's some of the things. Train them, the Bible says, Proverbs 22, 6, in the way that they should go, not in the way that they want to go. Because Why? If you read the Proverbs, you understand that the Bible says we're naturally foolish and that we need to, parents need to help replace the foolishness with righteousness and godliness. And oh, by the way, parents, before you feel so high and mighty, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It was once you, and so now it's being replaced for you too. So you have to be patient But what should we be doing? We should be training them in the way that they should go because kids have a sinful heart. And you could look those up in Proverbs 22.15 and Proverbs 29.15. J.C. Ryle, too, recognizes that we need to use tenderness, affection, and patience. Um, And you should remember that it's all about God's resource and grace as you teach and instruct your kids in the things of the Lord, but that you should work hard at educating them in these things. Hmm, interesting. Uh, And you should always keep in mind that your little, little guy or gal who's growing up, 16 years maybe now, but, you know, from the time they're little until the time that they're leaving, what are you concerned with first and foremost is their spiritual life. You're like, okay, I want to just leave. It's getting late. Man, I got to tell you, I look on social media around prom time, and I just want to barf. I I do. I just want to barf. Because it's not the kids parading the kids out to do and blah, blah, blah. It's the parents. It's like leading lambs to the slaughter and they're parading it out on Instagram. Ay, 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 ay. All in the name of being friends with our kids or (laughs) having the wrong goal in mind for what we want for our kids. I want my kid to be the prom queen. Who cares if your kid's the prom queen? You're charged with raising a godly kid. Now, look, I think Tim Tebow probably was the prom king, so it can be done. 
And that's cool. If the Lord puts you in that position, wonderful. Nothing wrong with being the prom king or the prom queen. But we got loads and loads of parents in these communities that are living the life they wish they had or were in high school through their kids. It's sickening. Sorry to be so harsh. But I think we got to check ourselves. Are we raising our kids so that they won't be an embarrassment to us? but will be like something we can show off or are we raising godly kids? Big difference. Big difference. You guys are quiet on that one. And you train them to a knowledge of the Bible. How do they learn the Bible? Well, they learn it through you. Don't just bring them here and say, okay, pastor, have, you know, teach these up, Sunday school. Yeah, that's great. We'll supplement, but we're going to supplement you and your family life. If you're the dad and you're not doing this, get your kids, get the Bible and show up to the dinner table and say, we're going to talk about Psalm 1, 1 through 3 tonight. And you don't have to be a great expert. All you have to do is read it and say, discuss. And now the Lord's doing something. And then the next week, do just a little more and a little more the next night. And you be the one. And mom chimes in. And mom's helping. And mom's talking. And, and, and you start to love the Bible. And let me, let me tell you this. You teach it through the instruction. But probably one of the greatest ways in which you teach the kids to love the Word is if you love the Word. Look, look what it says in Proverbs chapter 20. Go there and mark this down. Proverbs chapter 20. I think it's in verse 7. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous man or woman walks in his or her integrity. In other words, you're an example. His children are blessed after him. Or her. You get what I'm saying? Listen, you're teaching them by word and by deed in instructing them. You're doing that, but here's the greater thing, or I don't know if it's greater, but here's another thing, way in which you teach your young people. They watch and they see and they go, wow, you, you know what? My dad gets up every morning. Now, I don't do that. I'm not a good morning person. My dad gets up every morning and I hear him. I'm walking down the steps, getting ready to get cereal, and he's down there praying for me. Boy, do I feel safe and protected. Every morning, my dad's on the back porch and he's pouring through the Bible. And then when he gets there, he greets me, gives me a hug, gets me something to eat. But I always notice he's looking through that Bible. A man walks in integrity or a woman and the children follow. Isn't that interesting? So it's caught. How do we teach these things? We teach it to them, but we also show it to them. We train them to a knowledge of the Bible. We train them, and I think this is one of the great ones. Hold on here. And this is so lacking in the congregation So also. We, we train them, and we lead them in the habit of prayer. Now watch, folks. If you get to the prayer table or the dinner table, it doesn't always have to be the dad that prays. Mom can pray too. Kids can pray too. But maybe the dad says, hey, uh, hey, Gertrude, you pray tonight. Gertrude, you get that? Gertrude. And uh, you, you pray tonight. And then Gertrude prays. But then maybe it comes around. When it's dad's turn or mom's turn, you could just, they're serious about it. They're not just joking to get it over with. Kids catch that. Prayer, habit of prayer, seeing you pray, praying. This is what J.C. Ryle says. Um, Teach them to diligently and regularly meet in the house of the Lord. Meet in the house of the Lord. It's not about going to church so you can go to church. You know what it's about? It's about the common grace of being here. So you know what? We can all learn this together. And then after, maybe maybe Dan comes up to me or I go up to Dan. I go up to Dan and say, Dan, I'm hurting. Can you pray for me? And we start to sharpen one another here in the body, the assembly with the Lord. 
or whatever. Other people too are doing things. Well, have the kids watch that. You kids find a fellowship where that's happening. Train them to a habit of praising God and worshiping God. And then, of course, obedience, being obedient and honoring people in the fellowship and taking care of people who aren't the most popular people. And also limiting and putting boundaries on overindulgence or spoiling them. And we can see in all of those ways, listen, in all of those ways that we've been talking about tonight, you know this, that the Father does that with us. All these things the Father does with us. Have you ever thought, why, I have, is God called the Father? Because he's a dad. Isn't that incredible? The Father is our dad. And he's doing it for us. Here's what I would say as we close up here. Here's what I would say. If this isn't happening for you in your life, by the way, Ephesians 5, before I close, Ephesians 5, verse 18, tells you how you're going to do this. You know what? When I read this and think about this and pray about this and talk about this and preach on this, you know what happens for me is that I'm doing this. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm so woefully short. I don't measure up here. But Ephesians 5.18, same chapters, tell us how you're going to be a great mom and a great dad. You ready? Be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> you be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the only way you can perform seminary for three or four or seven or one child for 18 years. So if it's not happening for you today, here's what I would say. Today is the day. The Lord can smooth over and make great and abundant in dry places. He can take what the locusts have eaten and making it plentiful and beautiful. So why wouldn't you bow your head and say, Lord, I'm going to put these things into practice. And let's do that. Let's bow our head. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for your instruction on being a parent. And thank you for showing us what you do for us. You train us. You train us in obedience. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who's struggling in these areas, that they would seek out help. But first, help from you. Be filled with the Spirit. Go and say, I'm going to consistently have my own devotions. Pray for my family. And I'm going to make it the number one priority in my life after glorifying you. But through my family, I will glorify you. And Lord, I'll pray for them, and I'm going to try and lead them as best I can, but I'm going to need your help. We're going to need your help. And we do need that. Lord, we just pray these things and ask that you'd bless our home lives until you come, that we would be watching and waiting in our homes, not in fear, but in faith, moving out and sharing the gospel with as many people as we can until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.